streaming down her cheeks and said, you really have to see this one. And found a couple of pine cones under it. She was the slowest moving human I had ever seen in my life. We love stories! It's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family, all kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. I'm Sam Payne, your host. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you every time you tune in and bring these stories into your home and into your heart. It's going to be a great hour today. We've got a story called Fireworks from Lanny Peterson. We'll hear from Sandra Singer with a story called Joy Madison Carter Makes Noise. We'll hear from Anthony Bircher, and I'll even tell a story and sing a song a little later on in the hour. Some of the stories today are about troubles and mishaps. You know what they say about the things that happen to us, that which doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Well, we like to think that at least that which doesn't kill us leaves us with a story to tell, and we'll tell you some today. In fact, to introduce the first story that we're going to hear today, I'm pleased to be joined in the studio by one of our assistant producers, Lacey Ivey. Lacey, it's such a pleasure to have you with me. It's good to be back. You know, we're going to talk about this Lanny Peterson story. Tell us about fireworks. This is one of her personal stories from growing up. And she talks about a job she had when she was younger, about being a sound manager for a stage crew and how (laughs) she got to be that person behind the scenes that made all the fun noises for the show, like (laughs) rain falling and all, you know, all the fun stuff. She just got to do all those. And she tells one story in particular where she kind of messed up just a little bit and made a... (laughs) Fun time out of it. (laughs) You know, I think of all of the interesting ways that sound effects are brought into a live theater space, you know. Mm -hmm. And now, of course, most of the sounds that you hear in a theater production are just, you know, they're recorded on tape and somebody presses, somebody with a mouse click activates that sound and you hear it through the speakers, you know. Right. (laughs) But I I remember learning about, uh, about sound effects in the time of, for example, William Shakespeare you know, when mm. they would make thunder sounds by rolling cannonballs down these sort of specially constructed uh, kind of troughs that were sort of behind the stage and up in the rafters and things like that no and way. roll cannonballs <laughs> down these troughs and it sounded like rolling thunder, you know, all kinds of interesting things. And, of course, this story brings <laughs> to mind some of those things. Lanny Peterson is the storyteller and uh, the story is Fireworks. We're happy to bring it to you here on the Appleseed. The summer I turned 18, I landed my perfect job. It was for long hours and no pay, and I was thrilled. I was the official apprentice to the sound manager at a summer stock theater. And it was there that I learned all about sound effects. I had never known how all those sounds were made off stage, but it was there that I learned about crash buckets. Whenever a loud crash was needed off stage, somebody with a huge bucket filled with nuts and bolts, screws, tools of all kinds, would lift it up in the air, turn it upside down, and dump it into another large metal bucket. Crash! Thunder sounds were made by large metal sheets shaken in front of a a microphone. Rain was simply rain sticks turned upside down over and over again in front of a microphone. 
During one special week where we were playing an Agatha Christie murder mystery, I was given the responsibility to fire off the murder weapon, a gun. We didn't use real bullets, of course, but we sure fired it up with a lot of gunpowder to make sure there was a loud crack off stage. Opening night, no one had told me about kickback. And so as the cue was given to me and I gently pulled the trigger, I was not prepared for being lifted off my feet and thrown backwards across the stage. There, tipping over every crash bucket and metal sheet in my way, I landed sprawled on my back with the gun across my chest. The leading lady on stage, afraid that someone really had died, felt the need to come to the sidelines to take a look. And there she saw me sprawled across my back with nuts and bolts and hammers all around me. And she broke down into laughter. She began laughing so hard she felt the need to explain something to the audience who were waiting for the show to go on. She turned to them with tears streaming down her cheeks and said, you really have to see this one. My second summer, upon return to the theater, I was delighted to learn that the sound manager had left. And I was promoted to full-time, minimum wage paid sound manager. I also graduated from being the person who did the live effects to the one who made the reel-to-reel tapes. We had a sound library at our theater filled with every sound effect one could need, from bird calls to train whistles. When I received a script the week in advance, I would see which sound effects were required. I would pull them off the cassettes and re-record them onto a large reel-to-reel tape. The dark tape was where the sound effects were, and in between each cue, I would put a foot of red tape blank to alert me that the end of one cue had completed and the next one was ready to be lined up to begin. Our last show of the season, we were granted a special privilege and responsibility. We were to premiere Tennessee Williams' new play. And if all went well, there was hopes of Broadway. I worked hard to put together the special reel-to-reel tape of sound effects for this small Southern play. In that it was the last show of the season, I was running out of that red leader taped to put between cues. Normally, a sound manager will place a foot of red leader between each cue. As my tape was running low at the end of the season, I shortened it down to two inches, knowing that my quick eye could catch it on the night of the show. And so it was that I had completed my sound tape and was ready for opening night. The critics from all the major papers had been invited, and rumor had it that Tennessee Williams himself would be seated in the front row. This production of Tennessee Williams' work was not unlike his others. Tender, poignant, painful relationships between characters who were trying to figure out who they were in relationship to each other. In this particular play, 
the main character was a middle-aged woman from the South whose main goal in life was to passionately be in love with the young, handsome, single doctor in town. Unfortunately, he did not return her sentiments. For three acts, she pursues him. And finally, in the second to last scene of the final act, she persuades him to kiss her on the evening of the 4th of July. In the final scene of the play, she returns each summer to the site of that magical kiss and relives that moment as she watches the fireworks fall from the sky. Opening night, we were running a perfect show. Just two scenes left. We were all beginning to relax. The stage manager said, Sound 34, go. This was the moment of the kiss. I pushed the button and waited for the quiet, romantic music to begin. But my short leaders had led me to skip one too many. And just as their lips touched, the sound emanated throughout the theater from the speakers. All the sound effects for the final scene graced the moment of the kiss. And the lighting manager, who took his cues from me, thought that he had made the mistake. So instead of dimming the lights slowly down, he quickly threw them on full and adorned the stage with red, green, blue, and yellow. The leading lady did not find this humorous. She raced from the stage and appeared at the door to the sound booth. I wasn't sure what she would say, but her face showed me it would not be pleasant. Lacking the words to fully express herself, she leaned in and kicked me and then bolted for her dressing room. I stood there, feeling the heat of embarrassment well up through my cheeks and the heat of pain rising from my shin. And I, too, went to bolt. I was stopped at the door by the stage manager, the leading man, and the light manager, who all said, wait, we haven't heard from the critics yet. And so it was, as the house went empty, we made a pot of coffee and waited for the morning papers to arrive. The click of the first paper hitting the door came at 5.45 a.m. Eagerly, we turned to the back section to find the theater reviews. And there was the first one. Tennessee Williams turns comedian. And the next. A typical heart-wrenching Williams production, except for the comic relief in the third act. One by one, the reviews mirrored each other, and I realized then the play might not survive the critics, but I could. And so we prepared ourselves for our second night of production and treated it as if it was opening night again. We invited the critics to return and were relieved to learn at dawn that Tennessee Williams, who had suffered from a stomach flu, had not been there at all.
but planned to join us that night. We ran a perfect show, and although the leading lady did not talk to me for the rest of the week, I had redeemed myself. I never did learn whether Tennessee Williams' play made it to Broadway, but it didn't really matter. He had already achieved his literary fame, even without my help. The story was Fireworks by Lanny Peterson, and I'm uh, listening to it not only with you, but also with Lacey Ivey, one of our assistant producers. Lacey, were you that real theater kid? I was, actually. <laughs> In middle school, I was a theater kid. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about, I mean, you, 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 you told me that this story sort of rings some bells for you in terms of <laughs> the kind of kid you were. Talk about that a little Unfortunately, bit. Unfortunately. <laughs> you say the kind of kid I was, but yeah. I am afraid I'm still this way. It hasn't changed. <laughs> but I remember as I listened to this story, uh, it was brought back to eighth grade where we produced Cinderella the Musical, which was so fun. And I got to play the queen. Oh, wow. And, as you, and if you're the queen, you get to be part of the song where everybody's prepping for the ball and you all sing about the food. And we had everybody walking on the stage full of platters of like cream puffs and baguettes and all these crazy <laughs> stuff. And it was way fun. And then we kind of fast forwarded through the scenes and everything. And all those props were now hidden like yeah. on the wings. And we had gone to the ball, everybody danced, and the next scene after the ball, I had to enter from the complete opposite side of the stage that I had exited. So what my director had told me to do was to run off one side, run around the building to the outside, back in the door, so I could make it before the curtain rose and the lights were on. And so... I just had to sprint and I was wearing my dance shoes, I was in a long big dress, and it I was just trying to hurry, and so I ran through the door, and this was right before I had walked on, and we make this big, like, dramatic entrance as the king and queen, right? And so we walk on, but I was just so clumsy, and I didn't really see where I was going, and I ran into the platter that was holding the cream puffs, <laughs> and it just kind of clattered to the floor, and cream puffs just rolled right onto the stage into the garden. <laughs> and so we walk on, and the king, he just kind of looks around and goes, Green puffs in the garden. Who knew? And throws it away. <laughs> and I just had to stand there and keep going. <laughs> Those experiences, you know, we 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 learn some of our earliest kind of thinking on our feet skills in mm -hmm. some of those, you know, unusual circumstances. Something goes wrong and you have to somehow make sense of it in the context <laughs> of a play. And I'm I'm with you. Some of my earliest, again, figuring out problems and things like that came in some of those theater moments on stage. A pleasure mm -hmm. to hear that story from Lanny Peterson. And th Lacey, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. There's a lot more coming up on The Appleseed. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure to be with you on today's episode of The Appleseed. A moment ago, you heard Fireworks, a story from Lanny Peterson. And there's a lot coming up. You're going to hear from Sandra Singer and Anthony Bircher in just a bit. But first, how about an entry in the Radio Family Journal? I, I often share a personal memory as maybe a spark to ignite a story for you that you can share with the people that you love. But today, an ancient fable on the Radio Family Journal. 
here on the Appleseed. The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it. On the Appleseed. You'll remember phrases your parents used to use with you, things they'd say often to teach you things or to discipline you. I've got a friend who, when his beloved old dad passed away, gathered from family members things his dad used to say and then had those things carved in stone on an enormous grave marker set where they can be remembered forever. It's certainly true of my folks when we wanted to do something or get something, something modest like going to the movies or to the lake or to get a comic book or a pizza or something extravagant like going to Disneyland or getting a new TV set or a new car. My dad always used the same phrase to put it off indefinitely. He'd always say, sure, we'll do that a week from Tuesday. If we ever heard him say that something was going to happen a week from Tuesday, we knew that was code for the fact that it was never going to happen, or at least that there was no use in trying to talk about it right now. Well, my mom had phrases too, and one that she seemed to use a lot was the phrase, don't be a dog in a manger. I might be sitting and watching TV with Lego bricks spread around me, and my little brother might come in to play with the Lego bricks, and Even though I was watching TV and not making anything with the Lego bricks, I'd shoo my brother away and he'd start to cry. And there it would be, my mom shouting to me from the other room, don't be a dog in a manger. I knew that my mom wanted me to share the Lego bricks with my brother, but I thought it was such a weird way to say it. Well, the image comes from the fables of Aesop, little stories with lessons often about animals and thousands of years old. And some of the stories, as they're usually told, are just a few lines long, really just little pictures that help us learn life lessons. And so it is with the phrase, dog in a manger. Aesop puts a dog in a manger and has him snap and growl at the other farm animals so they can't eat any of the hay that has been placed in the manger for them. And one of the oxen says to the rest of the animals, What a selfish dog. He cannot eat the hay himself, and yet he refuses to allow those to eat it who can. And that was me, that dog in the manger, not letting my brother play with the Lego bricks, even though I wasn't playing with them myself. Well, dogs and other farm animals show up all the time in these old fables. Here's another example. In this story, there's a guy who has a donkey and also a beautiful little lap dog. The donkey lived a great donkey life in a warm, dry stable with plenty of oats and hay to eat, just as any donkey might want. But the dog was a special favorite to the master. The dog could do tricks, and when he did them, the master laughed and hugged the dog and told him what a great dog he was. And he seldom dined without allowing the dog to dine at the same table or near it, and the man would throw bits of food to the dog. And the donkey, who spent his days grinding corn in the mill or carrying wood from the forest or doing other farm work, The donkey looked at the dog and began to grow jealous of the life led by that dog. The donkey wanted that life for himself, and one day the donkey had had it. He broke his cords and shook off his halter and galloped into his master's house, kicking up his heels, and he started to roll on the ground and stand up on his hind legs, and he tried to rub his furry sides against his master. These are the things the donkey had seen the dog do and get a lot of love for it. He jumped about like he had seen the dog do, and he let his tongue loll out like he'd seen the dog do, and he shouted like he had seen the dog shout, and in doing all this, 
He broke the table and all the dishes, and still on he went. He jumped up on his master, tried to lick him, just like he had seen the dog jump up on the master to lick him. The servants, hearing the noise and thinking their master was in danger, came into the room and saw the donkey going crazy, and they restrained the donkey and wrestled him back out to the stable. The donkey got pretty beat up in the process, and so did the servants. And lying there in the stable, panting, bruised, frustrated, the donkey thought, I should have been content to labor with my companions instead of being idle all day like that silly dog. My life is the best life an animal could hope for. I almost wrecked it all by trying to be someone else and not myself. Is there a lesson there? Are there times when you may have tried to be someone other than yourself and nearly wrecked things? Those sometimes make great stories to share with the people you love. In the meantime, be yourself. Everyone else, after all, is taken. The Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the Appleseed. Thanks for joining me for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. You're going to hear a story from Sandra Singer called Joy Madison Carter Makes Noise in just a bit. But first, how about a conversation with a friend? Stories come into our lives in so many ways, in the pages of great books, through some of the terrific food we eat, wonderful songs with which we interact, and of course, the things that we see on screen. And looking at all of the ways in which stories come into our hearts and minds is something that we'd love to do here on The Appleseed. And we'd love to do it with a friend. I've got a friend in the chair today. In the studio with me is Rod Gustafson, a longtime member of the BYU Radio family. And gosh, he's been watching movies for years and years and years uh-huh. and talking about them. Uh-huh. <laughs> You've got that. Hi, Sam. Great yeah, to be here. It's great to have you, Rod. And and you brought a favorite today. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, Groundhog Day. And, you know, <laughs> as a film reviewer, I feel like I've seen a lot of the same movies over and over and over. But Groundhog Day is an exceptional movie with it, of course, really has created this whole repetitive, uh, I, I don't even know what you call it, but it's almost like a genre into its own after this movie came out. And uh, The great Bill Murray movie yes. in which he relives the same day the same over day, and over, over and, and over. And he what wakes must be up, thousands of times. Yeah, yeah. He plays yeah. a weatherman. And of course, a part of this too, it's an industry movie. And I've worked with a lot, okay, I shouldn't say a lot. I've worked with some obnoxious talent over the years. <laughs> Ooh, I hope they aren't listening. And so Bill Murray plays a weatherman at a TV station and he gets sent out to Pux, you help me here, Punxsutawney. Punxsutawney. Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, where they have this groundhog celebration. And he is just way too good for this. He really doesn't want to go, but he goes out to cover this. And uh, and he's got to stay out there overnight. And and so he stays out there. And then after they go through this this really rather terrible day, he wakes up the next morning and and it's the same day all over again and keeps going and going. <laughs> and he gets to live Groundhog yes, Day. Yes, and it's really a frustrating thing. Yeah, and uh, and he really starts, he's got a really kind of a not great relationship with his producer. This guy uh, is long before the Me Too movement when he didn't know yeah. appropriate ways to work with women and everything else. A little clip here, if we want to hear it for a moment, about he's gone through three of these days now and he's starting to come a little unglued and doesn't know what to do. Rita, I'm reliving the same day over and over. 
Groundhog Day today. Okay, I'm waiting for the punchline. No, really, this is the third time. It's like yesterday never happened. I am racking my brain, but I can't even begin to imagine why you'd make up something like this. I'm not making it up. I am asking you for help. Okay, what do you want me to do? I don't know. You're a producer. Come up with something. You want my advice? I think you should get your head examined if you expect me to believe a stupid story like that, Phil. And, of course, there's Andy <laughs> McDowell playing as producer. So it, uh, it just... It, it, what's interesting about this film, I love these these stories that they start out and people go, huh, well, that was okay. Yeah. But then the years go by and they grow. They More and more people are talking about it. It, it kind of is like a little piece of sand that gets caught in your shoe and you don't <laughs> notice it at first. But that's how Groundhog Day was for me. It's one of those films that out of the many thousands of movies I've seen that it keeps coming back to you and I'm planning on watching it I usually every year yeah, we load it up Yeah, it's one of those that you pull day. out every yeah. Groundhog yeah. Day. It's true. Yeah. I, I'll always remember the the when I went and saw this film for the first time. I had I, I had no idea really what it was about. People who had seen it had recommended it and so I went to the theater and, and before Groundhog Day there was a Mr. Bean short with Rowan Atkinson. <laughs> and it was my introduction to Mr. Bean. They, right. they started rolling this short, and I thought, good heavens, is this the movie? <laughs> but I was introduced and, not only and to I Groundhog see, Day, but to the great work of I could of see Mr. how Bean. you could be confused. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things I think about Groundhog Day that, that really appeals to people is that even though you know it's it's a fantasy, we we aren't it's it's we really don't get stuck in the same day over and over. Right. But though it feels like it sometimes, it right? It does. And yeah. when you start feeling that way, I find this movie motivates you to think, okay, what can I do different today? It's yeah. going to be the same day, or is it? How can I change it? How can I improve it? What can I do? And for me, and I think a lot of other people, I don't know about you, Sam, but that that's the motivating factor about Groundhog Day is, you know, even though we do find ourselves, it's like lather, rinse, repeat every day, like on the shampoo <laughs> bottle, but what can we do to make the world just a little bit better, to make other people's lives a little bit better. And I think that's that's why people have fallen in love with this movie. You really do find yourself, after seeing this movie, thinking a little bit about the mm-hmm. about the progression that the Bill Murray character mm-hmm. makes, mm-hmm. right? As yes. he, as, a, 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 if you're faced with living the same day over and over again, how are you going to spend that? Time, yeah, yeah, you know. exactly. Yeah. yeah, and and of course, this this movie's also done wonderful things for this little Pennsylvanian town. <laughs> you know, they were lucky if they had a couple of thousand people show up at yeah. this thing, and now every year it's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And they they almost they they are, they're having a hard time knowing what to do with all the people that show up. So <laughs> I guess the other good thing is an old coal mining town, and at least now there's one day of the year where they can pay the bills. Yeah, we we have a good storytelling friend who whose work we play often on the show, Kim Whitecamp, who was asked one year to go and tell stories at that celebration and she said uh, she may never go back because there were there were it, it was so crowded uh-huh, that yeah. that nobody could hear the things that she was doing and and yeah you just think about yeah. that tiny uh, the celebration of course has been going the celebration predates yes. the film yes but the film has the I mean, film changed a, it they said the very right. year that this film came out the crowds like tripled and they've never looked back since so amazing the effect a movie can have 
have on our real world and how we think about things. Groundhog Day, by the way, even that phrase now is is recognized in the English language in, in most parts of the English-speaking world. We just know what that means. Sure, yeah. yeah. As 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 referring to the what mm-hmm. happens as referring the film. to it's a yeah. repeating yeah. yeah that's right I'm having a Groundhog Day ah <laughs> uh, well some of you are probably going oh yeah Groundhog Day it's about time I watched that film again and doggone it you're right and of course if you're not acquainted with the film Groundhog Day the terrific Bill Murray film now's an opportunity for you to get acquainted with that film Rod Gustafson thanks so much for joining us thank you Sam. Great stories come into our lives in so many ways. Such a pleasure to chat with Rod Gustafson, a member of our BYU radio family, and uh, we'll be sure to have him back. Lots more coming up. You're going to hear from Sandra Singer in just a moment on The Appleseed. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's great to be with you on today's episode of The Apple Seed. Up next, a story from Sandra Singer, who has been telling stories ever since she worked for the radio station KOOL 105, where she shared her own bits of stories in between breaks. And the story you're going to hear now is about a girl named Joy Madison Carter, who loves getting herself into trouble and is fond of noises of all kinds. Find out what happens to a kid like that in this story from Sandra Singer, titled Joy Madison Carter Makes Noise on The Apple Seed. A story, a story, a story Come listen to my story Hi, my name is Sandra A while ago, I found the drum Or rather, the drum found me Now I have lots of drums And I make a lot of noise The story I'm going to tell you now Is about a little person who likes to make noise too And I'm going to need your help during the story I'll be making noises during the story, and I hope you'll make noises with me. Joy Madison Carter makes noise. Joy Madison Carter loved to make noise. She touched everything in her path to hear what kinds of sounds it could make. So when she came to a table like this one, she'd hit it hard. Then she'd tap it lightly, first with one hand, then with the other, then with both until it sounded to Joy Madison Carter like the water moving down the stream by her house. So she smiled. The light switches were next. She loved those. They made such a nice fitting sound to the rhythm she could hear in her head. So first, she went into the living room. Fit, 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 fit. Then she went into the kitchen. Fit, 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 fit. Then finally she went into her bedroom that had the blue switch plates with white flowers on them. Fit, 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 fit. Then it was time for lunch. (laughs) Joy Madison Carter sat down to her lunch of crunchy peanut butter and raspberry jelly sandwich on toasted sprouted wheat bread with blue corn tortilla chips on the side and a big glass of milk. First, she bit into the sandwich. Crunchy peanuts. Can you make the crunchy peanut butter sound with me? Then it stuck to the roof of her mouth, so she had to drink her milk. Then it was time for the blue corn tortilla chips. Those were her favorites. 
Can you make the blue corn tortilla chip sound with me? Then she finished her milk. Then she took her dishes and put them in the sink. Clatter, 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 clatter. She was very full and very proud of herself. So she started to dance around the room. Then she started to hit her chest. Then she found she could add her voice. Ah! Joy Madison Carter, would you mind making noise outside? Mommy would like to take a nap now. Thank you. So, Joy headed for the door. Creak. The doorknob creaked a little when she turned it. <coughs> so, she turned it again. Creak. Creak, 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 creak. Joy. Mm. When Joy got outside, a bird flew from tree to tree right in front of her. Trees! She ran for the closest tree and found a couple of pine cones under it. She picked two of them up. I wonder what these sound like. Ooh, she liked the sound. She really wanted to show Mom, but Mom was taking a nap. So she threw the pine cones aside and looked around. She saw two sticks. She picked those up and hit them together. Ooh, this was fun. Then she saw a fence and some posts, and she wondered what it would sound like to run the sticks across the fence and the posts. So she did that. Then she saw the pail. Ooh, perfect! So she ran over to it. Joy Madison Carter, I'm trying to take a nap. She threw the sticks aside and just started walking. After a while, she got to the stream by her house. Someone had left a rowboat there. I'll show Mom. I'll go far, far away where I can make as much noise as I want. But the boat looked really old. It might even leak. But she didn't care because she was so mad. So she got into the boat. Creak. And then she picked up the oars, pushed off the shore, and began to row. The water was really calm. So after a while, she found that she didn't have to row. So she put the oars down and just rocked back and forth. It was then that she realized how tired she was. So after a while, she curled up in the bottom of the boat and fell asleep.
She was practically thrown out of the boat when it hit the shore. She grabbed the boat and pulled it to shore. Her little heart was beating so fast and she was breathing so hard. But after a while, she could calm down and listen. She heard really big water close by. So she walked toward it. All of a sudden, the earth ended. She looked down. It was the biggest, deepest, darkest waterfall she'd ever seen. She couldn't even see the bottom. She backed away carefully. And after a while, she could hear something else. It was beautiful noise coming from somewhere over there. So she started to walk toward the beautiful sound. After a while, she came to a clearing. And in that clearing were about 20 big people playing drums. Big drums, little drums, playing rhythms she'd never heard before. So she started to dance to the rhythm, but really quietly, because she didn't want them to see her. She wanted to play, too, so she looked around, and she found a couple of sticks like the ones at her house. She picked those up and started to play along with the drummers, but very quietly so that they couldn't hear her. After a while, she forgot. She got louder and louder, and then she started to laugh. Madison Carter, is that you? <gasps> Joy started to run away. But then she realized somebody knew her name. Who could that be? So she started to walk back toward the tremors, but ready to run the other way. It was... It was... It was her Aunt Nancy. Aunt Nancy, what are you doing here? Well... This is my drumming group. We get together here in the woods every month, and we make a lot of noise. In fact, we make as much noise as we want, and nobody yells at us. Really? Oh. Joy looked down at the ground. Well, what's wrong, Joy? Well, you're all big people. You wouldn't want a little kid like me hanging around. Aunt Nancy looked around at her friends. They all smiled and nodded. Nonsense, Joy. You can stay here and play with us as long as you like, just as long as you learn the rhythms that we play. Really? Oh! So, Joy ran to the closest drum. It was a big wooden drum. She ran up to the man who was playing it and asked, What's that? This is called a djembe. It comes from Africa. It sounds like this. I try? Well, of course. 
Then Joy looked around. She saw other drums. They were made out of pottery, and people played them on their laps. What's that? This is called a doombeck. It comes from the Middle East. It sounds like this. Can I try? Well, I guess so. So, Joy stayed with her aunt and her friends and played drums for the rest of the afternoon. Then it was time to go home, so Aunt Nancy took her home. Joy Madison Carter, where have you been? I've been so worried. She's been with me, Agnes. She's been with me and my friends out in the woods playing drums. You know, Agnes, your daughter is a fine drummer. Would you mind if she joined us again next month? Oh, Mom, can I please? Please? Well, Joy Madison Carter's mother was tired and frustrated, but she was also a very wise woman. So she said, Joy Madison Carter, if you want to be a drummer, a drummer you will be. Tomorrow, you and me and your Aunt Nancy will go shopping, and we'll buy you a drum. And your Aunt Nancy will teach you how to play that drum, won't you, Aunt Nancy? But you know, Joy, you will have to practice. After a while, Aunt Nancy needed to go home. Joy walked her to her car. Aunt Nancy looked at Joy with dreams in her eyes. You know, Joy, you will have to practice, but I will help you. But someday, someday, you'll learn to play lots of rhythms on lots of drums, and you'll make people dance with joy. That night, Joy Madison Carter went to sleep with her foot tapping to the beat of the drummer inside her heart. From a collection of stories called Stories of Rhythm and Fantasy, that was Sandra Singer with Joy Madison Carter Makes Noise, a story to remind you of someone you know or maybe of yourself. How about a tall tale up next from Anthony Bircher? Happy to bring it to you here on The Appleseed. So one day I was traveling down the interstate, got thirsty and pulled off at a Stuckey's. I have met some folks don't know what a Stuckey's is. Gas station, convenience store, candy shop, gift shop, snack bar. If you're a lazy criminal, you could just rob five places at one Stuckey's. It's pretty amazing. But I went in there to the snack bar. Family in front of me is just taking forever. I'm like, what is taking so long? And then I saw the reason why. Behind the counter, this lady, she was the slowest moving human I had ever seen in my life. I could not imagine how her footsteps were keeping up with the rotation of the earth. She was that slow. I also couldn't figure out how they hired her. Clearly, one day, she was walking across the parking lot, and somebody built a Stuckey's around her. But finally, my time came. I said, large iced tea, please. Friends, this is where it went wrong. She said, iced tea? I, I believe we had some around somewhere. 
About 15 minutes later, she is pulling from this one cooler, this ancient milk jug, full of this black, frothy liquid. She had a cup of ice. She poured it over the ice. It did not pour. It drizzled. That was not the bad part. The bad part was the lumps. Fresh brewed sweet iced tea should not have lumps. But I paid for it. I was polite, paid for it anyway. I took it outside. And right outside, there was a trash can by the door. I was just going to throw it away. But I'd also picked up a straw. And something in my brain said, you need to try this. So I put that straw in there, and I just wanted a little baby sip, so I sucked back. It was so intense in my mouth, I breathed in, took about half that tea down into my stomach, which just started churning over and over, and I began to sweat, and my eyes glazed over, and my brain was buzzing. I said, I need to throw this away. Trash can right there, all of a sudden that trash can got really, really big, and then it got really, really small. I kept trying to throw the tea away. Trash can kept getting bigger and smaller. I finally got the tea thrown away. I said, I needed to go home. And my car, which was parked right there, I said, all right, car, I'm getting you to go home. But all of a sudden, my car was on the other side of the parking lot. And all of a sudden, it's back up close. So I need to throw some water on my face. Turned around, went back into the Stuckies, and wham. I ran into a display of their best-selling product the Stuckey's pecan log. Now, as kids, we ate a lot of those pecan logs, and to me, they always looked like something you were less likely to eat and more likely to flush. But they're, they're a fine product. I'm now on the floor trying to get all the pecan logs back on the shelf, shelf getting bigger and smaller. I think I got them all put away. I stood up, turned, took a step, one of those pecan logs had escaped his cellophane wrapper all under the bottom of my shoe. I hobbled to the restroom, peeled it off, threw it in the toilet, flushed it down, felt momentarily smug about my analogy, went to the sink, threw some water on my face, opened the door, and there he was a six-foot-tall pecan log, and he was angry. And he was yelling, you brilled my cother. I said, what? He said, you brilled my cother. I said, oh, no. You did not just speak to me in Lackward's language. I said, listen up, nut boy. I have a degree in Lackward's language. I can feed Spunny and whip my flirts whenever I want to. And yeah, I did brew you, Cuther. Not only that, I touched him down the toilet. Now he's yelling, he's screaming, he's so angry. You dust my, you dust my. Now, friends, clearly, I'll tell you, I am not a brave person, but I am not afraid of nougat. I said, you want to go, Lee Canpog? Get slow. We tore that Stuckey's up. Shells of cheap merchandise falling in every direction. At one point, I saw Slowpoke Lady flip backwards ninja style, trying to avoid a rack of those little tiny license plates. You know what I'm talking about. Now, Pecan Log, he was mean. At one point, he had me on the ground trying to make me eat those little state refrigerator magnets. And then, finally, I was able to spit New Jersey back into his little nut eye, and then I flipped him over. 
And all of a sudden, Mr. Tough Guy is now Mr. Pretty Boy. He's yelling, fought in the nace, fought in the nace. But with my right hand, I grabbed a bunch of those novelty keychains. You know what I'm talking about. My other car's a Cadillac. No, no, it's not. You're shopping at Stuckey's. And then I went to town on him, and then I jumped up. I just started stomping him, just stomping him into the floor. And every time I would stomp, I would yell something. I don't know exactly what it was I was yelling, but according to the arrest report, I was screaming, hack to Beatty's, hack to Beatty's, you pecan lawn of Spucifer. That's what I was telling them. Now, when the police broke in, um, I don't mind bragging, I did not feel the first two tasers. <laughs> I did believe the next seven were a bit excessive. And in court, who knew the fermented iced tea defense is not a winner. And finally, in prison, it's all about reputation. If you are in there for armed robbery, assault and battery, attempted murder, folks will leave you alone. But friends, I will tell you, there's no rest, there's no respect, there's no street cred for beating up a Stucky's pecan log. Thank you all. <laughs> From Anthony Bircher, Stuckies, A Tall Tale. Happy to bring it to you here on The Appleseed. And we're going to wrap up with a little something from me, recorded live in front of a friendly audience. A little piece called Girl from Riverton, about a church dance. It's the story of my first dance. Maybe it'll remind you of yours. Happy to bring it to you here on The Appleseed. Partly to spare you my uh, dancing. Um, the, uh, I've never been much of a dancer. First time I ever danced with a girl, I was 12 years old. And my friend Darren Dibb and I went down to the local church dance. You had to be 14 to get into the dance. We were 12 apiece. We stood up tall and lowered our voices. <laughs> Flashed our fake IDs. No one was the wiser. It was a freezing February night. And there was snow on the ground. More snow falling. We had permission from our folks to be out till 9.30. Um, Almost immediately, I saw the little girl I wanted to dance with. She was not from my congregation. She was not even from my town. She was from far away and exotic Riverton. And uh, she... Uh, 9.30 rolled around, you know. And I had not yet asked her to dance. But I was not about to go home without doing so. And uh, 10.30 rolled around just so dang nervous. Finally, at quarter of 11, second to the last song of the night, I wiped the sweat from my palms and I went and asked her to dance with me. And she said, yes. And out we went onto the dance floor and we danced as was the custom of our day by touching the tips of our fingers together and swaying back and forth, looking kind of anywhere but at each other. <laughs> you're, you're laughing out of familiarity. I know you're... 
In the middle of the dance, I looked over on the side of the church gym, and there was my father. And he wasn't wearing his dancing clothes. He was wearing his boy-fetching clothes. <laughs> he a big winter parka and a wool cap pulled down over his eyes and moon boots up to his knees. <laughs> and he didn't come out onto the floor and yank me off of it. It would have been within his parental prerogative to do that, but he... He didn't do that. He just sat in a chair and watched me dance, which, as you can imagine, was infinitely worse. <laughs> After the dance was over, I hung my head and walked over to my dad, and we walked out to the car and drove home. It was a silent drive, and that silence was the only punishment I got for making my parents think I was dead in a snowdrift somewhere. But it was enough. Because all I wanted to do with my whole little soul was to tell somebody how much fun it was to dance with a girl. I have a boy who's a ballroom dancer, and I watch him out on the floor. His partner comes at the wave of his hand, and they move together like water flowing. Watching them, I wonder sometimes if it wasn't anger that drove my father's silence on the way home on that long ago night, but rather reverence before a rite of passage. You know, he had come down to the church to fetch his naughty little boy and had instead watched his oldest son do the man's work of taking a young woman out onto the dance floor and dancing with her. But who am I kidding? He was just mad. <laughs> This is a song about that first dance. Snowfall, February wind. I kick my shoes as I go on in, and the lights all down on a church gym. Oh, young thing like I never seen. Dark hair, state from a magazine in town with a cousin Gwendoline. Oh, high school boys all through the hall. Pulling girls from every wall They spin around with steady hands And poker faces And all at twelve I'm standing there Snowflakes melting in my hair Calm me down, Lord My feet are in their places Music Come on, pop song, move. 
and a little recording made live in front of a friendly audience and happy to bring that to you here on the Appleseed along with stories from Anthony Bircher and Sandra Singer a conversation with Rod Gustafson and of course at the top of the hour fireworks from Lanny Peterson such a pleasure to have you with us there's a lot more coming up in the next hour of the Appleseed I can't wait to share it with you I'm Sam Payne Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.